All right, ready? We ready for this? Okay, here we go. Yours truly. I'm going to come. Oh, thank you, Mr. President. Yes, you are, especially today. <clears throat> this is the type of show he'd probably want to listen to. So we're talking about the tragic, horrific kidnapping and murder of two Americans in Mexico. It's the worst case scenario. One of the, the three friends and one woman who was going down there to get a tummy tuck. The most dangerous thing about this trip should have been the fact that she was trying to get a discount tummy tuck. That's something you never want to do. You never want to skimp on surgery. I'm sorry. I know it's expensive, but either don't have it or don't pay. Don't don't get like a Groupon surgery type of deal or however they figured this out. And please, for the love of God, Google what part of Mexico you're going to go to before you go, because clearly there are some very dangerous areas. And I got a friend who loves going to Mexico and he's always trying to tell me, let's go there. And I've been to Mexico years ago before. I've been to Puerto Vallarta. It was great, great food, great people, etc. But when you see this, it makes you think twice about wanting to go down for a vacation. And when you also read about influencer violence in Tulum, where all the hot influence or not influencer violence, cartel violence in Tulum, where all the influencers go. Maybe there's influencer violence, too, but I'm sure it's not as bloody. So. Mexico, by the way, uh, has been listed by the United States with the strongest possible do not travel alert. So I'm not the only one thinking this. However, travel interest has now tripled. Probably bargain hunters. You know, that's the same thing that got these four into trouble too. bargain hunting. People say, oh, no one's going to go to Mexico right now because you might get kidnapped and shot in a case of mistaken identity. Let's go. We can get a good deal. I don't think I'll be doing that. All right, here is the moment when Lativa Tay McGee was rescued in Mexico, about six miles from where she and four friends were kidnapped at gunpoint. She's seen wearing no shoes and appears to be covered in dirt. The trauma of the incident evident on her face. It's terrible. Like, the worst case scenario. And everyone probably says... Don't go to Mexico. You know, you're going to get kidnapped. You're going to get something bad's going to happen. And you think, no, what are the odds? It's not going to happen to me. And then it does. And it's not even like just kidnapped. Two of your friends are now dead. That's not her fault. But still could not have gone worse. Uh, so that's her and her surviving friend, Eric Williams, who was shot in the leg, being loaded into an ambulance. And they were taken across the border back into Texas. So they're safe now. In a press conference on Tuesday afternoon, the governor of uh, this part of Mexico, which I'm not going to try to pronounce, confirmed the identity of the person arrested. 24-year-old Jose N. was arrested. Well, that's descriptive. Uh, that narrows it down. He was in charge of monitoring the victims, he said. They were found in a house near a place known as La Lagunona in the town of El Tecolote in Matamoros. During the three days after the criminal act, the four were, people were transferred to various places. Three days they had to go through this. My God. Including a clinic in order to create confusion and avoid rescue work. Officials in Mexico would not confirm whether the person detained in relation to the kidnapping is related to the criminal organization Gulf Cartel. However, they are known to operate in the region. A lot of people think 
that that was who did this. It was a case of mistaken identity. They thought that these four people who are African-American were Haitian drug dealers. Apparently, the cartels have had a big issue with the Haitians coming in and trying to operate in their territory. So, unfortunately, they shoot first and ask questions later, or not at all. Two people lost their lives. Mexican officials said that the group arrived in Matamoros at 9.45 a.m. and were caught up in the terrifying ambush hours after arriving in town at 11.45 a.m. It's not even lunchtime, and you're faced with death and kidnapping. There are videos of the people being taken in by the kidnappers. Let's take a look. I don't think that they get too... Uh, I don't think that they're graphic, so I think it's safe to play. And uh, this is a news show, after all. And if the rest of the news is going to do it, well, so am I. Not that I'm into sharing gory stuff or, or even looking at it. Personally, I can't deal with it. But... All right. Here's the alleged four Americans being dragged in the street. Oh, you know what? I don't know if I want to see that, actually. Yeah, the guy doesn't look too... He doesn't look like he's doing too well. All right, but they just dragged him out of the car and stuck him in the back of a truck. Terrible. Now, there's a guy online. On Twitter, his name is Jeff Nadu, I believe is how you pronounce it. He's a barstool sports guy. He's a good follow. He's actually the guy who brought to prominence that podcast, that uh, T-Rev podcast, if anyone was following the Idaho slayings case, where for a little while, myself included, a lot of people thought that Brian Koberger had called into this T-Rev podcast and a clip was circulating online. This man, Jeff Nadu, or Big Man on Campus, as he's known on Twitter, is where I first saw that clip. Uh, we follow each other on Twitter. I've never spoken to him personally, but he's smart enough to follow me. So he has knowledge of this area in Mexico. And we're going to listen in on what he has to say. All right. What up, everybody? So I'm going to try to do this video as quick as I can. Really kind of update you on what's going on here. Okay. Last week, um, four individuals from Lake City, South Carolina, one female, three males decided to travel to Mexico for a cosmetic surgery. According to a text message uh, that one of the people sent to a family member, uh, he had kind of discussed the fact that um, everything was good. They were driving through uh, and they would be in Brownsville by Thursday night last week and drive into Matamoros on Friday of last week. They did do that. Um, and I'm going to talk about what actually happened and what's up to date, what's going on now. Um, I do want to talk a little bit about Matamoros and who runs Matamoros. Matamoros is run by a group called the Golf Cartel, Cartel del Golfo. And Cartel del Golfo has really been around for decades. Um, they were under control of a guy called Osiel Cardenas for years. Um, he went to prison and was extradited to the United States, to which um, several different factions tried to take over the control. One of the factions was led by a guy called Jorge Eduardo Castillo Sanchez and another guy called Antonio Cardenas. This was Osiel's brother, a guy, Tony Tormenta. They took over uh, this part of Matamoros. They're from that area, uh, the uh, Cardenas family. And to this day, 
there are factions that are incredibly loyal still to the Cardenas family. Matamoros is run by um, several groups. The main group there is a group called Grupo Escorpionos, the Scorpion group. They are an offshoot, uh, Tony Tormenta's group from many years ago, and they run the day-to-day inside Matamoros. So when you come into Matamoros, you're going to go through checkpoints, and they're going to make sure every single person is doing the right thing in Mexico, in that part of Matamoros. They don't want people buying drugs, selling drugs, robbing people. In fact, last week I posted a video of this exact group interrogating six people who were either buying or selling drugs in and around Matamoros. What they do in Mexico. Yeah, real quick, I saw uh, a a snippet of the clip he's talking about. I'm not going to show it. It, It's scary shit. They've got these guys in hoods with guns, have like six gentlemen kneeling and they're interrogating them. It's at night. It looks like something out of Breaking Bad. Like it's dark out. They have headlights from a truck or something trained on these detainees and they're interrogating them. And then apparently they execute all of them. So these are very serious, serious cartel members that that we're dealing with here. This is not a walk in the park. In these cartel areas is essentially cleanse the area of street crime. They don't want any street crime. And the big problem that the Scorpion Group has detailed in post recently is that they're sick and tired of migrants, Haitian migrants, robbing people in Matamoros. From what I've understood here, these four people were mistaken for Haitian migrants. They believed they were either trying to sell drugs or rob people, uh, and I believe they were targeted. They were shot at. I think two people were likely killed in that shootout. They were dragged away, and Miss, the, the, the female involved in this is fine. And from what I understand, I have a photo of her, um, and I'm going to post that. Um, she seems pretty obviously distraught. I also have a photo of um, two individuals that are deceased. Uh, The other one is critical from what I understand. I don't believe they were killed after the fact. I think probably um, the Scorpion group likely believes uh, we fucked up here and we're just going to flee the scene and uh, call this in. And that'll be that. Um, This is not a government problem. This is a um, thing that happens all the time, uh, quite honestly. Um, If you go to Matamoros and you uh, behave, I think you'll be fine. Um, do I feel bad for these people? Absolutely. Uh, do I think they were incredibly tone deaf and entering Matamoros, Mexico, uh, not knowing the extreme danger of doing so? Yes. Um, if only they had consulted somebody that knew kind of what's going on there, they probably wouldn't have did this. That said, let this be a lesson. I would highly recommend not going into these places. Um, so yeah, that's that. All right. What up everybody? So Yeah, I'm not going to take the chance of uh, getting whatever behavior I am exhibiting mistaken as misbehavior. I'm never going to Matamoros. I think I can make that clear. I don't think anyone is either after this. You really should talk to somebody before you just decide to travel down there. He's right. That should be the lesson. Like, maybe stick to the tourist areas, Mexico City. Um, Part of Iarta, I think, is still cool. I don't want to give anyone any bad advice. 
But the bottom line is you got to know what's up down there. You can't just treat it like, hey, we're just going to go to Mexico and, you know, have an adventure. We're going to eat, pray, love our way through Mexico. No, you're going to eat lead. That wasn't that funny. Terrible. Terrible stuff. All right, let me let me get back to the other articles. So, again, I was going to suggest yesterday when I first heard about this that oh my god, I just see one of someone commenting, my brother's girlfriend is Mexican and her sister and her boyfriend were recently killed there. That's what I'm saying. It's just too risky. And I know it probably sounds hypocritical as an American where there are shootings every day and school shootings and all kinds of shootings. Okay, still, this is like cartel violence. A lot of American shootings are either domestic or kind of like random in a way. Like this is different. This is like a way of doing business. So you don't want to fuck around. Um. What was I looking for here? Oh, so I was going to suggest, excuse me. I was going to suggest that the Mexican government allow us to send SEAL Team 6 in there to rescue these people. You know, Captain Phillips style. Go in there. Let's pull off an Osama bin Laden raid on these people. But sounds like it was already worked out and they're back home in America. I still think that's not such a bad idea. I've said for a long time that if we truly wanted to do something about the cartels and about uh, the drug problem, you know, with the cooperation, it could be a joint operation between Mexico and, uh, you know, the United States. Send in the SEALs. Send in the SEALs. Get the military, go in there, decapitate the leadership, get it all wrapped up. Unfortunately, I don't think that would ever happen. There's too much money being made, uh, whether it's from the drugs or the avocados now. There's just too much money being made. And in all honesty, we probably get some kind of cut of it. You know, if the CIA was distributing crack 40 years ago, why would they stop now when there's a bigger market? So I don't think it's going to happen. However, Lindsey Graham did decide to introduce a bill. Let me find that. He's going to pitch a bill, excuse me, sending the military after Mexico cartels. I agree with Lindsey Lindsey Graham here. Um, By the way, I'm reading some of these comments uh, that uh, person saying that their sister, uh, brother's girlfriend, sister and boyfriend were killed in Mexico. And that they were told by someone close to the cartel to just stop looking for her. He was found dead with his legs broken and hands cut off. Dead. Jesus Christ. Man, oh man. Uh, I shoot this show in uh, New York, by the way. Very far away. Okay. Lindsey Graham wants to pitch a bill to send the military after Mexico cartels. In a reaction to this kidnapping... Uh, the administration has done nothing about it, Graham told Fox News' Jesse Waters. 
I'm going to introduce legislation to make certain Mexican drug cartels foreign terrorist organizations under U.S. law and set the stage to use military force if necessary to protect America from being poisoned by things coming out of Mexico. I would, feel ball, I would follow Bill Barr's advice and get tough on Mexico. It's not just the hostages. Number one, I'd do everything I could to get them back. I'd do what Trump did. I'd put Mexico on notice. If you continue to give safe haven to fentanyl drug dealers, then you're an enemy of the United States. That he would warn Mexico to clean up your act or we're going to clean it up for you. I mean, here's the thing. I don't feel like the, the, the Mexican government, like, if you're a journalist down there or if you're trying to be in local government, you know, or, or even in the highest levels, like did not, it's so infiltrated. It's so intertwined that with, with, you know, government officials and people working on behalf of the cartels or, or straight up cartel members for all I know that it's not as easy as just clean up your act you know, get it together. No, like we need to do something in cooperation with parties down there that are sympathetic to what we want. Now, again, I'm not so dense that I'm not that I have no awareness about bad things that our country does or whatever involvement we may have or or facilitation of, you know, like I said, taking a a cut of the profit whatever i know this is like pie in the sky stuff this is like kind of it's almost fake to be like yeah we're gonna get tough on them we're gonna clean it up behind closed doors there's probably a lot going on that prevents that from ever happening but a man can dream anyways the point is that Lindsay and i have uh, some parallel thinking here yeah here's just a photo a still shot of that video that is horrible. Three days. This woman was a mother of five. The guilt, survivor's guilt, the guilt of just feeling like, oh, I, I, I invited my friends to come down here. This is probably, you know, supposed to be a fun trip to get a tummy tuck, have some, you know, enjoy some of the local delicacies, have a good time. It's Mexico. No. Two people now dead. Military personnel kept watch at the scene where authorities found the bodies. Yeah. It just happened too quickly. Like Jeff Nadu was saying, uh, it looks like the two of them were killed at the moment of kidnapping. Shoot first, ask questions later or not at all. That seems to be the way down there uh the two men who died have been id'd as shaheed woodard and zindel brown very sad very very sad which one who's he this is this is shaheed and this is zindel brown Man, oh man. There's her being rescued. That's her friend, Eric Williams. Uh, shot in the leg. That's the van. 
Yeah, I don't know what we're going to do. I mean, people are going to keep going down there. And again, statistically, this uh, it's probably still low statistically that you're going to get in any kind of trouble down there. But like, like there's too much seeping into the tourist areas. I mean, for the last year, I've been reading stories every couple weeks or every month about heads being found on. Um, let, let, let's read through the uh, what the what the USA travel advisory is u.s citizens and headed for cabo cancun and tulum are warned to exercise increased caution over crime and kidnapping and those are three of the biggest whenever someone says i'm going to mexico it's either cabo cancun or tulum to take pictures for your instagram while those destined for Puerto Vallarta are urged to reconsider travel as violent crime and gang activity are common. All right. I wonder what it was when I went down there. This is probably like 10 years ago plus. I wonder if it was a reconsider travel at that point. And I'll tell you what. I am reconsidering. I'm not going. No offense. Robert Almonte, a former U.S. Marshal for the Western District of Texas and retired Deputy Chief with the El Paso Police Department, told DailyMail.com the State Department warnings do not go far enough because the cartels cartels are everywhere and anywhere in Mexico. See, that's what I'm worried about. They put out some warning about this specific place. Okay, you think it's safe to go to Matamoros? Next thing you know, robbed, kidnapped. It's terrible. And the locals, people who are citizens of Mexico, you know, it's not like they're enjoying this. It's just like having a big bully in town who never goes away and who is like inhumanely, can be inhumanely brutal. Scary stuff. This was the captor. We get to see a picture of him. This man. This is Jose N. All right. For updates on that, but it's uh, it's a sad, tragic story. I'm glad that the survivors have been safely returned. Of course, it was a harrowing three days. I'm sure. Uh, Miss McGee was thinking about her five kids and thinking about when is she going to get to see them again and if she's going to stay in some dirty-ass stash house with the bodies of your deceased friends. Probably didn't seem real. Like a nightmare you can't wake up from. Anyways. Moving on. Let's see. Do we talk about bullies or do we talk about Michelle Obama? Let's talk about Michelle o real quick because I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on this. It's just something that we see every so often. Michelle Obama for POTUS in 2024. Well, that's uh, Douglas McKinnon, whoever that is, is saying that Democrats could look to her should Biden or Harris decline to run. I'm going to tell you. I know everyone thinks she could win and she would be a, a a lock if she got in the race. It's not going to happen. 
She doesn't want to run for president. She doesn't want to endure that again. She doesn't want to put her family through that again. She doesn't want to have to put herself through that. She's probably enjoying her life, enjoying her free time and the Netflix money and, and you know, the house that they're building in Hawaii, I believe. And just having a great time. The kids are grown. Why would you go back into that? I mean, whatever side of the aisle you're on, you can agree that some of the coverage of the Obama family when they were in the White House and leading up to it and, you know, a little less afterward, but still there was definitely like some racism and and just put but put the racism aside. The criticism of every single thing. I mean, if you're the president, Trump, Biden, whoever, Bush, you're constantly subjected to criticism for everything that you do. There's always people working against you. It goes beyond just the loyal opposition now. Like these are like ad hominem attacks all day, every day for four years to eight years. Not to mention the rigors of the campaign trail. It's like you go through the whole campaign, you feel exhausted, and it's like now you have to actually start the job. She doesn't want to do that. And it makes me suspicious, too, when, um, you know, they're constantly pushing a candidate. Because I feel like there's an ulterior motive when a particular candidate is being pushed. Case in point, this guy, God, I can't even remember his name. He was supposed to be the challenger to Hillary Clinton in the run-up to the 2016 presidential election. White guy, brown hair, total nobody. No one even remember. I don't even know if he's still in politics, but he was going to be, I would see on the Drudge Report, which leans right. I would see on the Drudge Report headlines about this guy trying to build him up into a factor for the race. A part of it is, of course, they're just trying to make it interesting. You know, we love to see any, you know, whether it's sports or, or the Oscars, whatever. We love to see competition. And competition creates interest, creates clicks, creates advertising dollars. Same story as always. But also, maybe they thought he was a weak candidate, but they could like fool people into voting for him to try to damage Hillary Clinton's candidacy. Whatever. Now I see they're constantly pushing this Michelle Obama narrative. And I got to wonder why. Is it because they have some secret information that, They've been waiting to release, and they, 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 they're going to spring it on her at the last second. I mean, by the way, there would be people like Michelle Obama and Barack Obama now because they're out of office, and they've been out of office for a long time. They're not so directly involved in everyone's lives. Their decisions aren't affecting day-to-day Americans. So it's easier to like people. But the minute you get back in the right, same with Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton, before running, was voted the most admired woman in the world for like five years straight. The minute she gets in the race, and everyone's like, oh, people like Hillary. The minute she gets in the race, all that bad stuff gets dredged back up. And especially if you're going up against Trump, who brought Bill Clinton's sexual assault accusers to the debate, you don't think he has a lot in his arsenal to go after President Obama, drone strikes, you know, 
etc. Take the drone. Just start with the drone strikes. Uh, all right. So while Democratic leaders are publicly rallying behind Joe Biden to be their guy for the 2024 presidential election, behind the scenes, Democrats are still mulling the best leader for the party who could win a standoff against former President Donald Trump in 2024. Former White House and Pentagon official Douglas McKinnon said that if uh, Biden or Kamala do not run, they could look to Michelle Obama. She doesn't want to do it. You can look to her. She doesn't want to do it. Why would you want to take the hardest goddamn job in the world? And when you have a great life, she wrote a book. She made a ton of money off her book. She goes around. She speaks. People like her generally. Uh, You know, but all that liking of her will go away. Once she decides to go to war for the presidency. It's a lose-lose. And frankly, I don't think... It's not like she doesn't care about public service or care about the country. I'm not saying that. I just don't think she cares enough. And maybe part of that is from... Cares enough to, you know, throw her hat in the ring. Part of that could be from actually being in the room, being in the White House and seeing how hard it is and what really goes on behind closed doors... While her husband husband was president, she had a front row seat for eight years to see what that was like. And maybe she's sitting there saying, look, I can't tell all of you how it really is, but trust me, there's no point in me doing this. Not at her age, you know, what, she's got to be in her 50s at least, mid to late 50s. She's already lived through it, and she didn't like it then. She didn't really like it then. She didn't like the attention. She said it felt like being in the White House felt like being in a prison. I understood her point. Uh, you know, it's not I'm, not. I'm not like upset about that statement, but it's you know the prison of fame, if you're meaning it in that way. But uh, she just she said, it, it, there's no upside for her for being president. She didn't even want to go into. She didn't even want Barack to go into politics. She was mad at him. She admitted this. She was angry at him for a long long time that he wanted to be president she wanted to probably be a powerful successful corporate lawyer and just make a ton of money and you know give back and help out in the community and all that good stuff fine everyone does it but like she didn't want to have the discipline of having to be the first lady and keep your family in line and always put on the brave face and the, and the stiff upper leg. When they go low, we go high and all that shit. She doesn't want to get back into that. So I get what you're saying. There's nobody on the Democrat side who is like has the, the charisma or the name recognition or the, uh, the credibility to step in. Governor Newsom... Or Governor Hairgel, as some of the local news guys used to call him when I would I would hear that on uh, on assignment when I'd be out in the field. Governor Hairgel, I interviewed him once. You know, nice guy, nice enough. He, he spoke. Some people don't, so that, that always uh, gets you high marks in my book. Speaking to me, uh, he's got too much baggage. Who else is there? AOC. 
Can't run AOC. She's got too much baggage too. Needs more experience, I would say, also. Uh, there's no one else out there. It's Oprah and Michelle Obama, and neither of them are going to give up their Kush lifestyles. And I don't say Kush uh, to be, you know, pejorative. It's like literally, Oprah's got $2 billion and houses everywhere and, you know, can do whatever she wants. There's no point. This is what Howard Stern warned Donald Trump about. Your life is too good. Even Trump will tell you. I saw him speaking at CPAC. He'll tell you, I didn't need to do this. My life was great. I had a great life. And now I know about the word subpoena. Getting subpoenas everywhere. I don't, she, she, she's not ego. Her ego doesn't need the presidency is my point. So I guess I'm spending more time on this than I even wanted to. Point is, you want Michelle Obama to run? Stop asking her. She's not going to run. All right. It would literally take probably like the threat of nuclear war or something like something insane for her to say, all right, fine, I'll run for president. If you people will just shut the F up. Let's talk about Katy Perry. Katy Perry. Where is that? All right. So she's being accused of being a bully. On uh, American Idol. Do we have the video? Let me see. If we got the video, then I want to actually. Okay, this ain't it. I think we do a video. Let me switch this up real quick. Hold on. I take responsibility. I take responsibility. I take responsibility. I take responsibility for every unchecked moment, for every time it was easier to ignore than to call it out for what it was. Every not-so-funny joke. My favorite part of that video is, um, uh, what's his name, Aaron Paul? So serious about it. I take responsibility. I like Aaron Paul. I'm a fan of Breaking Bad. But it's just like he's acting. That's some real acting right there. He took a moment and he came up with a memory to make it real. And then he goes, I take responsibility. Uh, what the hell were you thinking? That and the Imagine video. Those are like the two pinnacles of uh, out of touch celebrity to come out of the pandemic i can't play the imagine video because they always get a copyright strike when you do it but you remember the imagine video with gal Godot and every other celebrity i think this would be a good idea all right we got katie perry perfect she's accused of bullying a very nervous american idol contestant as fans call the pop star's constant negative feedback ugly all right let's watch Right after the ad, let's watch. I take responsibility for this ad. For every advertising, for every video that I didn't have queued up to the I proper I did like a start. little bit of like church I, I, choir and, and Oh shit, okay. Is now, it a dream? We, 
Um, is it now? Uh, if it's not your dream, you, you might need to leave because there's a lot of dreams behind you. Right. Literally, I'm still processing. I can't even, like, answer. Like, this is so much. Uh, let's hear All this. All right, well, let's... Why don't you freak us out? What's going on here? Freaky Friday? Cherry. All right, first of all, I, the, the video's fucking up, but I'll, I'll get back into it. Uh, Katy Perry obviously hates this woman. She's very annoyed with her. This girl looks like she should be auditioning for Saturday Night Live. You know, she's straight out of the groundlings or something. She's got that improv energy. Katy Perry's sitting there like, ugh, I'm sick of you. You got this, like, I'm nervous act. I can already tell. I, I can think like what, like Katy Perry. She hates her. All right, let's pick it back up. She calls her Freaky Friday. Hilarious. And even like, answer, like, this is so much. Uh, let's hear All this. right, well, let's, why don't you freak us out, Freaky Friday? The cherry bomb. What are you going to sing for us? I was supposed to sing Benny and the Jets, but then my voice is, so now I'm going to sing You Know I'm No Good by Amy Winehouse, and I hope it goes well. Okay. I was trouble. Oh, you know that I'm no good. That's not enough. Whew. First of all, not bad. Like coffee house good. You know, she could she could get there. Hipster coffee house, open mic. Step above open mic, you know, she didn't have any flat notes. She sounds okay. But then she immediately, and I know it's nerve-wracking to get on American Idol and auditioning sucks. I've auditioned. I hate auditioning. It's nerve-wracking. It is. They just stare at you like you're some asshole who walked in there. Like, I'm sorry. I'm trying to help you cast your part. Don't get mad at me. But I digress. She just immediately goes back and says, oh, shuck. I'm so nervous. Oh, shuck, shuck, shuck. Katy Perry can see right through her. She knows it's an act. I know. Try Benny and the Jets. Try it. Try what it. do you got to lose? Nothing. Okay. It's not her dream yet. All right. Okay. Show us what your voice can do. Take it to the limit. No looking back. Sing it like it's your new dream. All right. Okay, so honestly, I like this new Katy Perry who gets angry at the contestants and who openly dislikes them. And she's given her some real... Like, at least show American Idol, America's Got Talent, The Voice, the the other one, whichever ones are still on, they're all just, like, feel-good fests of, of, like, oh, my God, yes, you're going through, and then they cut to the audience, and everyone's crying, and, you know, it's all, like, it's, it's fluff. I'm not mad at it at being fluff, but they get away from legitimate criticism, legitimately pushing someone to make it in the industry. Probably why you rarely ever hear of any of the contestants after the show's over. Because at this point, it's just become commodified of, like, look, we don't even care about having a long-term, like, an act that we can really grow a career for. Like, that'd be nice, but we don't really care about that anymore. We just need enough feel-good moments, enough people who are living in a van or, you know, their family just died or, you know, somebody's addicted to something. And then they come here and they show us how they're going to juggle uh, an Xbox controller or something, you know, whatever it is, there's not enough actual blunt talk. So I like what Katy Perry's doing here. She's saying, 
cut the BS, cut the nervous act. We don't have time for a nervous act. If this isn't really your dream, if you're not really giving it your all, there's a bunch of losers out there who are. It is their dream. So sing or get the F out of here. I like it. Katy Perry knows what it is. I'm sure coming up, Katy Perry took all kind of shit from powerful people who probably wanted to sleep with her or were just, you know, harassing her or whatever. People are just assholes. People in that industry, because they know they have the keys to fame and fortune, they know they can mess with you. They can cut you down. They can be cruel and you're going to take it because it's your dream. You want to get there. So really, Katy Perry is preparing this woman. You know, an interesting example was the, the director, David Fincher, did Fight Club, did Seven, Social Network, Mindhunter on Netflix, all these great films and, and shows and whatnot. He said he, he always wanted to teach a film class where he starts taking questions from the audience. And he points to someone and says, you there, tell me, why do you want to make a movie? And the guy stands up and before he can even get his answer out fincher goes shut the f up and sit down because that's what it's really like that's what katie perry is doing she's putting this woman to the test let's watch that again right after this ad oh, wait, that's I mean, she also has her weird moments crying. She cries a little too much on this show. You know, she did her virtue signaling about the uh, the guy who was, uh, you know, around for the school shooting. And she has her moment where she goes, this country has effing failed you. Failed us. Like whether or not it's true, it's for a show. All right. What Katy Perry is annoyed with is that this woman, this contestant, thinks she can come in there and act nervous because being a victim is now rewarded. So this girl thinks, oh, you know what, I'll, I'm going to win them over by of- just being so nervous. And I'm going to be so nervous that they're going to say, oh, sweetie, what you're doing is so brave. We're going to put you through to the next round. Yas. Yas. But she didn't get the crying, Katie. She got Simon Cowell, Katy Perry. Like church choir and is this your dream? Um, is it now? Is this your dream? If it's not your dream, you you might need to leave because there's a lot of dreams behind you. Right, literally, I'm. You know, this girl reminds me reminds of uh, it's Pat from Saturday Night Live. She came in there like playing it's Pat with longer hair. She's doing like a Gilda Radner thing. Like, sorry. St. America's Got Talent. This is American Idol. You do your improv act on America's Got Talent. American Idol is for singing. Still processing. I can't even like answer. Like, this is so much. Uh, let's hear All this. right, well, let's. Why don't you freak us out, Freaky Friday? The cherry bomb. What are you going to sing for us? I was supposed to. He's got good work. Russell, not Russell. Hey guys, we're giving out a ton of these Mikey socks right now for free. Um, No credit card needed. We'll ship it right to your door. All right, whatever. Oh, we saw it. What's his name? The singer. Why am I blanking? Richie, Lionel Richie. He's got good work done. He's got to be in his 70s, but the face is nice and pulled back. 
I remember when I was uh, worked with this guy. He's been on this show before at the valet company. This was years ago. This was when I was um, uh, whatever. I can't even think of a good university right now to keep that joke going. But we we're working at a valet company to pay for things while we were also uh, at medical school. We were we were at Georgetown. No, Georgetown. Whatever. Well, it's not even funny. He was, he was, uh, he brought up Lionel Richie's car and Lionel Richie gets in the car and the guy was a fan of Lionel Richie. So he wanted to talk to him. So he's like, Lionel Richie gets in the car, the window's down and he goes, uh, Mr. Richie, can I, uh, I just want to say, and Lionel goes one second, please. And then the guy waits politely and Lionel just puts his finger on the window button and just slowly rolls it up without looking at him and then drives off. Hilarious shit. Anyways, so Katy Perry, though, gives her some good advice, in my opinion. Everyone is angry with Katy, though. They're not angry with the girl for showing up to her big moment and not giving it her best and doing her whole fake nervous act. They're angry with the girl. Like, let's just give her a record contract because she's nervous. Hand her $500,000. She's a little nervous. Uh, I didn't think her singing was bad. Uh, so the girl apparently tried to incorporate Perry's advice to sing it like it's your dream into her second song, while Perry continued shouting demands at her while she sang. More of that! Hold it out! Perry said before dubbing her accidental American Idol. I feel like a comic strip. I feel like a comic strip character just came to life. Perry said after Libby was done. That's the girl, Libby Lieb. While Brian, Luke Brian, that is, expressed his love for her performance. Yes, yeah, see, Luke Brian's doing it the normal way. Oh, I love that. What you did was great. Katy Perry's bringing the heat that day. She must have been angry or something. That girl did look like a comic strip character. Perry told her, look, if it's not your dream, it's not going to go far because I also respect everyone that's walking through that door who will lay down their life for this golden ticket. Huh? But I thought if I just told you that I was, you know, having anxiety about this performance that you would put me through. My improv group is going to be very upset with you. Brian and Perry voted for her to move on to the next round while Richie went with his gut and voted against her. Yeah, he knows. So Katie pulled a punch in the end. She sent her through. All right, but let's get to the fans. The fans were quick to criticize Perry's behavior. By the way, she's a judge. She's judging the show. Probably does have some kind of fiduciary responsibility to the producers of American Idol to try to put forward quality talent so they can make money off of this talent in one way or another. You know, the weirdos are for week one and week two. After that, you're supposed to get to the people who can actually sing. I really do not like how Katy Perry just treated Sarah Beth on American Idol. 
They let Katy Perry bully this woman on live national TV before she even started singing. So ugly, a fan wrote on Twitter. Another fan wrote, boo to Katy Perry for mom shaming Sarah Beth, insinuating that she has been laying on the table too much to have three kids by age 25. A young mother following a dream while raising her children should be raised up, not put down. I mean, look, maybe, but Katy Perry is being a realist. It's hard to make it as a singer in Hollywood with the amount of auditions you have to go to and the singing and that if you go on tour and all that, like it's going to be hard to raise those kids. She's keeping it real. Katy Perry judging a contestant and a show that judges contestants. Shocking. Ever heard of at Simon Cowell, a fan tweeted. All right. So that was someone that agreed with Katy Perry. Meanwhile, another added, being honest is now bullying. You know, it's nice to know there are still reasonable people out there, like the people in this audience. And I thank you all so much for watching. I think that's all I want to talk about today. Oh, yeah, real quick. If you're a fan of Gene Hackman, I guess we're kind of in the uh, entertainment portion, entertainment news portion of the show. If you're a fan of Gene Hackman, they found him. He's 93 years old. I'm being honest. I'm not even trying to joke. I thought he had died sometime during the pandemic. I really thought Gene Ackman was gone, but he's living in New Mexico. Luckily, he's not living in Mexico, Mexico near Matamoros because uh, we might have lost him to some cartel violence. But Gene Hackman was spotted out eating at Wendy's. Let's see if we can play this video. Looks a little different than I remembered him. You know, he's definitely gotten older. Doesn't look like he's had any work done. That's good. How sad would it be if Gene Hackman looked like, uh, you know, Rodrigo Alves or or Madonna? Imagine we see first pictures of Gene Hackman at 93 and he's he had the same surgeon as Madonna. So he's walking around. He's holding a coffee. Doesn't look too bad. He still kind of looks like Gene Hackman. And he's still driving. Hopefully that's good. Hopefully he's, that's safe. Uh, they must test him at that age. But, uh, God, no one would even recognize I mean, unless you live there and you know him. But I would never even recognize that as Gene Hackman. That's Gene Hackman. That's a 93-year-old man eating a Wendy's in a parking lot. Look at that. He gets out to throw his trash away. He doesn't keep it in the car, so it smells. Good man. Good man. So anyways, yeah, if you were like me and you thought Gene Hackman had died sometime in the last couple of years, you were wrong. He's alive and well. He's going to the drive-thru, and uh, he's having a good time at his ranch in New Mexico. I wonder if he was anywhere close to uh, Epstein's ranch in New Mexico. Probably not. Okay. Thank you. It's been a great show. Thank you for this audience. You people make sense. You know your common sense, normal people. You're not PC, whatever. Have a good life. Have a good life. We will see, we you, will soon. see you soon. Much love. Thank you. Love. All right, Tanya. So once again, thank you to my brother. Tell him your name again. Dante Greco. Two words. Made in America. <laughs>
Dante, you're doing great. That's good. I know. I said, I want you to leave my good friend Ringo alone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my pal, Hal. Have a good day.